Welcome everyone, this is my first video in the Path to Pro series. Here I'll be focusing specifically on France. The first interview of this series is going to be of Charlie Page. And this series is going to be focusing on providing all the information you need to know as a young cyclist, junior under 23 who wants to race at DN1 in France or DN2 or DN3. You now I'll be interviewing a few different riders at different levels uh, on the division national scale. And also I'll be focusing on, as a wider series in different countries, we'll be having Spain, Belgium, Italy and also uh, Continental. So trying to get on interviews with different riders, different levels of the sport, how they got to where they are, information that you can use, that I can use. That also, you know, hopefully the guys I'm interviewing and the, and the girls I'm interviewing will be able to help each other out by watching these videos. And this will provide a real basis of information for people our age to try and then go professional by different countries in different ways because there's not just one way, there's loads. And it's important that that information gets out. Right, welcome everyone. This is the first episode of Path to Pro. An interview of Charlie Page. You're riding for, do you want to tell them? Yeah, uh, I'm riding for a team, uh, a DN1 team in France uh, called uh, Team UQ uh, Decept, which is uh, Team UQ 17. Uh, in the Charente Maritime region of France. Perfect. Right. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. What's, what's it like being back in the UK for winter? It has its pros and cons. Um, from compared to where I live in France, it's a lot more. It's a lot more flat from where I live in France, so it's good to get some hills and the roads are good around me. But when you've got to go out in low three degrees four degrees and then some days it's raining it has, it has its pros and cons but it's good to be back for over off season yeah yeah i can imagine it's uh it's a bit grim it snowed here the other day yeah same here cool so we've got a couple of quick questions sort of for me well i know you're ready but so sort of the viewers can get to know you a bit better so uh firstly yeah. how old are you uh, so i'm uh, 19 uh first year under 23 Perfect. How many years have you been cycling? Um, I think about seven or eight years now. Well, cycling, I've always been cycling all my life uh, because of my dad. Um, but I first started racing, not not properly, but racing when I was sort of under 12, 12, 13. And then it sort of progressed from there and got, got more serious as the years went on. Oh, mega. And so... I guess on that topic, when you first started racing, who was your first team or club? Uh, so my first team was actually uh, called Clivero Bike Club. So it was a just a local bike club. I think it was it was set up. Uh, my dad set it up, so I was involved in that. And some of the some of the older sort of riders uh, from around my area took me out with. Uh, there's a few photos of me with a, a pair of trackies on riding around with a few oh, of the oldies telling me, telling me how to ride a bike properly. I, I remember one of my first rides and I, I got taught the classic um, pedal on the pavement thing to keep your bike upright so they look smart so you don't have to lean it up against the wall. But yeah, yeah. and then it then and then eventually it progressed to sort of uh, riding for the green jersey, uh, my dad's shop. So then, and I was riding for my own for myself a few years, and then it progressed into sort of having a youth and junior team. Oh, and man. that's when it got a bit more serious when I sort of raced with the green jersey team. So, 
obviously the next question is your last team, which is, as you just said, the Green Jersey team. Do you want to give us a little bit of an insight, just a quick rundown as to who they were and what they were about? Yeah, so the Green Jersey, uh, so it's, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a bike shop in Clitheroe. And we set up the team, well, so, well, I was riding for myself just for a long time and we decided to set up the team, I think it was about five, five years ago, four years ago. Um, and we had a few strong riders on it and we're the 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 team was mainly about having fun and we were we didn't take it so serious and yeah we actually ended up getting some good results out of it and um we've we've had a, a cut there's uh two of the other stronger riders who were on the team um well the same guy is my year one of my closest training partners is a guy called isaac peatfield and he had a really strong year. So he's he's current king of the tumble at uh, Junior Tour of Wales, and um, nice. he rides for Crimson. And then we also have a we have another lad who's two years below, who's uh, who's Isaac's brother, and he's called uh, Benjamin Peatfield, and he rides for uh, AGTR Le Mondial Van Rysel, uh, their junior squad, and he actually lives uh, 20k down the road from me in France. So it's a it's a small world, really. That's, yeah, that's a strange coincidence, that. Yeah. No, I rate that. And then, um, yeah. I mean, next team, but as we know, you're sort of staying where you are next year, is that right? Yeah, so it was a, it was an uncertain year uh, for everyone. And, you know, it's I, the team was right for me. You know the setup of a team. And I think that so many, so many juniors and under 23s they're so quick to move on and i think pros even they're so quick to jump onto the next team and you mm. i think it's good to to sort of not stick it out but you should stay with a team because then you know how the team works you know the staff you know and you become part of it instead of moving on so it was it's yeah. a good place for me to stay and develop as a rider before moving on to a higher level yeah that makes sense so sort of i guess some advice you can take from that is like sort of finding your feet in a team and being comfortable because I guess once you're yeah. comfortable you can then be confident in yourself and the team enough to get the results you want to then progress yeah 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 I think I think too many people try and jump up to too high a level at, at that at where they are so it's if you yeah. can't you can't win at one level you shouldn't be going up to the net or not win but be getting the higher placings and then because yeah. I think that's what really leads to a a rider's development and then you sort of solidify your place in the team whereas I think I think even if you're one of the strongest riders and you come to a team you've still got to prove yourself but if you're at one team for two three years it means that you don't have to sort of then have to prove yourself every single year yeah that makes that makes good sense to me and then next question but so whereabouts in France did you live or do, you, or do you live whilst you're out there? So you sort of yeah. said the region, but whereabouts yeah. is that region in France? Yeah, so I live in I live in a town called Palm, which really it's it's really not it's not big at all. But the nearest nearest uh, big town is a place called Sant, and that is about forty minutes from La Rochelle and about forty minutes from Bordeaux. So for people that don't know the sort of region, it's south southwest France um down there so it's 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 not massively hilly because you're not in Pyrenees sort of territory but it's not it's not pan flat it's sort of a in-between middle ground with some rolling hills but not 
nothing mountainous and nothing like Normandy. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's always a bonus. We don't want, don't want to be too flat, personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What's your favourite race? Is that, I was thinking this. Is this um, favourite professional race or just favourite yeah, overall yeah, favorite, race? Yeah, favourite race, I think. Professional race. Um, Giro d'Italia, favourite professional race, yeah. Give me yeah. one reason why that's your best, or why that's your favourite. I think with the Giro is that it's so it's quite early on in the season for a Grand Tour, and it's it's always a lot more unpredictable, and yeah. you never you, you've got Chris Froome attack uh, that was yeah. 90k out, the Richard Carapaz winning, uh, was which one of the Yates was it? Simon Yates, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's just it's a real unpredictable race, and there's no thing that I don't like about some professional races is how much control there is and you don't yeah. it's very hard to do that in the Giro yeah nah, I respect that that's a good decision I think and then next on is most memorable win or experience on the bike so it doesn't necessarily have to be a win or it could be a race that you did well in or you know that sort of kind of area yeah I think my most memorable I think would be one or one or one or two uh, sort of races that I did as a first year junior. Um, so I think one of the highlights was uh, white jersey at Junior Tour of Ireland as a first yeah. year. Uh, so wearing that was mega, and it was sort of it was sort of like the first time that I'd done well in a race, and you yeah. sort of act, well actually properly well and people st- begin to recognize that and things like that yeah. and it was sort of like it's it was sort of the turning point i think in my uh sort of career and then i started to progress from there i sort of realized that instead of just doing it for fun you could potentially one day get paid from it yeah i think it's sort of that sinking in feeling and i think it's it's a weird feeling when you suddenly i think everybody gets to that point if you try try hard enough and you persist it for long enough i think you'll you'll eventually reach it doesn't matter what it is it could be winning a local three four or something like that but it's just it's something that you've got to and you're like i'm not the one getting my head kicked in anymore but then you're doing yeah and then and then and then you move to france or elite level and then it's the complete opposite (laughs) again but I look, it looks brutal. And then just the last one, what's your favourite place to train? Favourite place to train? Um, I, I thought about this one and there's sort of three places that I'd, I'd bookmark as my favourite places. I'd say first first one is round uh, me in Lancashire. That's the first one. Mega roads, mega hills. It's on a hot sunny day. It could out, it could outdo anything. Um, and then I Scotland, Southwest Scotland as well. I really like. And then my favorite favorite one abroad has to be the Pyrenees. Complete. So I, that's um, where we met up for that ride, right? Yeah. Over okay. where was it? Was it? Um, we did the Plateau d'Arde. Is that the climb? Yeah, Plateau d'Arde. Yeah, we were supposed to do Col de Portet, but then we washed out because. It looked yeah, horrendous. It's still the hardest climb, I think. Did you, do it, did you do it the day before, the day a few days after? No, I didn't go back. I'm not. I don't want to go back there. Did you not <laughs> do the Quartet? 
No, I, I didn't manage it in the end. I, I sort of stayed a bit more local. I did the Tormay a couple of times instead. Yeah, I, I thought if that, from when we did the uh, pla- uh, the plateau one, um, and then yeah. and then I saw Col de Portet. Once I went up there, I was I didn't go up Col de Portet, but comparing it to when I've been up the Tourmalite, I think that's harder. It's that first mm. sort of four no, k that's ten percent. Oof, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So, sort of talking about your experience and what led you to come to France and sort of the decisions you've made before. Uh, yeah. What was your thought process at the end of your junior career in 2019 as to where you wanted to go and who you wanted to race for? Yeah, uh, so I've been, so it was sort of, I wasn't going to stay in the UK. I knew that since I was little, like I knew that since I was 15 that it was, but at first I sort of bookmarked Belgium. Yeah. And you've got, you've got your three options that everybody discusses. You have Italy, France, oh no, it's become sort of four now, Italy, France, Spain and Belgium, they're sort yeah. of your, your main ones to go to, so I spoke to a lot of people about Belgium and they said that it's pan flat, well we all know that, and mm. Belgium can very easily sort of, uh, well as they say, crack you or break you, because it's it's so hard and there's such a high level there, and they've also yeah. sort of been told that for people who are from really good cycling areas so north of england derbyshire places like that it's yeah. wales it's not the compared to that it's really not a good place to train because it's just flat yeah. um and then the other ones were sort of italy uh, and i'd sort of had a there's a lot of people sort of telling me to to go to france and not do italy or belgium uh, yeah. So I, de- I sort of de- decided on France because it was sort of that that middle ground and it's such so rich in their culture as well. And it's that middle ground yeah. between you've got hilly races, you've got mountainous races, you've got flat races, you've got a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, so then and then sort of the races itself in France, they do massive hundred mile loops, whereas the races in Belgium are small camises a lot of the time. So yeah. Um, yeah, and then when it was who, I think a lot of people will know this. I think you'll know this as well. Is that just finding a team in France is uh, an absolute scrap. It's yeah. uh, because because what you have is you have you have fourteen rider teams, and then about two or three of them places are given to foreign riders. So that could be anybody from across the world, really. And all yeah. these riders are applying, are applying to these places. And it's just a, it's a scrap. So, um, and it was sort of just emailing every single team under the sun. And then yeah. uh, I got a few, I got a few offers about three, I think by the end, but it was a bit panicky because it was in October and then I spoke to a guy called John, who's uh, a Brit, who's involved in the team that I'm on. And yeah. we we chatted and then I chatted with a few of the other people from the other teams. And I, it sounded like it was the better place for me. So originally it was a DN2 team, but then yeah. they spoke of the promotion and things like that. And I was really, and with uh, John being there as well, a Brit, it was really sort of helpful to go to somewhere that, you could sort of having a British rider, a British staff member to speak to was really good. So that's why I was drawn to that team. 
No, that makes sense. Just having a, I think having a British connection in any team is much more, in a way, valuable because you know, you know, there's not that lonely aspect of having a language barrier. I mean, there will be to some extent because you're in a new country anyway. But in case you do need that extra person, I think that's one of the most important decisions or factors to. Yeah, one of the most important factors to factor in whilst choosing a team for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and also it's it's that whole making sure that you've got somebody to live with and making sure that the team has got somebody who's. Well, I was very lucky because I live with an Estonian and he's uh, fluent in English. So yeah. I think, but I think a lot of people, you hear a lot of people being being sort of lonely. Whereas I think I hear things of uh, Belgium and things like that and other places where and Italy where there's groups of lads living in houses together and they have the complete opposite where they just do each other's heads in and they all just get fed up with each other and there's arguments and fights all the time and it's sort of that complete opposite that you get to living by yourself. Nice. There's there's loads of different things you have to factor in so that's definitely, I'm glad you've sort of uh, glanced over that one. And then the sort of last, you sort of covered the the rest of it really but what was the main source of information or sources you sought for teams and contacts like was it a website because there's you know there's direct velo uh, was yeah. it different people you asked specifically sort of give us a, a rundown there yeah so i think for people so what my source was basically the internet um it was uh, a, a, a direct velo as you said I was a bit clueless though, like a lot of people are, because you don't understand what the teams actually give and you don't understand much about it really because there's yeah. not that knowledge that there is in the UK and they don't and nobody sort of there is the knowledge, but for some reason it's so hard to get hold of and nobody can That's explain it. Yeah, it's quite it's quite like getting it's like a secret club or like Fight Club, the first rule is that nobody talks about it, even though there's a rich history of riders, like Steve Lampier, the uh, same, uh, rides for St. Perian now, doesn't he? He's gone back. Massive domestic pro, I think he started in France, and and people like that, so he's been going for years, and there's just no, Mm -hmm. no information anywhere about it, but the best, the best site to look at was, is Direct Velo, uh, so what I did <clears throat> on Direct Velo, well, back when I was applying for teams, I actually just hunted down every single email of every DM, one team, DM, two team, and yeah. you just send them out, send them out. But remember, a common mistake is um, sending <laughs> the wrong, uh, like, I would like to apply for your team, but putting yeah. the wrong <laughs> team name in, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then sending it to the wrong teams. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's happened to a few people in the past. But the best um, best thing to do is to look on Direct Velo and sort of, so you've got a section that's equipped, so teams, and you've got DN1, DN2, DN3. And then you sort of, you go onto each team and you can see where they're based and then there's contact details. And the other best way to do it is then you take that contact details or you take the team name and then you put it into Instagram or Facebook and then it sort of comes yeah. up with, emails or contact details on the Facebooks or social media. And the good thing about that is that you can actually, I know that it's uh, um, it's quite a childish thing to do, but you can look at sort of their 
their setup so you can look at what cars they have like lorries things like that and i think right, i think that not, gives you quite, that's not, that's it gives you it gives you quite a big insight into how big a team a team a rubbish team's not going to have a hundred grand worth of uh camper is it and things like that so it's quite okay. sort of gives exactly. you that uh, insight onto it and i think i think it's just such a scrap to go to france and get a good place at a team is that you yeah. just can't it's sort of beggars can't be choosers best source is direct velo it's a very it's a very easy site to use the ffc website is the other one french uh, federation excuse me but it's it's very it's very old and it's very sort of it's, it's sort of like the bc equivalent it's not not yeah. the best website to use but direct velo you can get a feel for the teams and another a good source is just you'll you'll find this is just people people are a yeah. really good source other other brits and i think the best thing to remember is that normally the path has been trodden before you it's not a yeah. it's not like even on my team we've never had a brit before until i came but we had um two irish lads 10 years ago um yeah. things like that so there's the it's been trodden by somebody before and that's one of the so obviously when we met up in france but i thought one of the main things i took away from when we spoke was that you know for british riders look for teams no matter where you are but because we were talking about france at the time look for french teams who have had british connections like you just said or british riders because yeah. then the team are used to accommodating that cultural and language difference so that it won't be as hard as just going in cold turkey yeah, uh, yeah. Like just in another way and also uh, i'll link to direct velo website in the description of this video um for people to use and the last thing i'll sort of add just to contacts is that on the direct velo website there's often a link to the team's websites where you can get more contacts for ds's and stuff on there which is you know if you really want to go to a team you just you can sort of spam all the ds's if you really want to yeah yeah but the, i think i think the main thing it's not just brits it's sort of looking at uh, other other nationalities it's not if the teams had you see some riders and you're like i didn't know there's i've seen sort of quite a few uh japanese uh bike races in france as well and all all different nationalities and i think the main it's not just looking for the teams that have had british riders it's also looking for the teams who have uh who have had uh other nationalities so in ex uh, an example of a team that hasn't so if you look so you can also see their past riders for i think 12 years back on direct velo and yeah so like but uh von which is direct energy's sub uh, 23 squad they've never had any foreign riders so the first person to i don't know when the first person will be for if there ever will be of a different nationality because some some teams they just which is fair enough they just like to keep it french and mm. it's completely understandable yeah i'm not, I'm not too sure if on the you sent in the dm on instagram i got a reply there but that was as far as it went yeah. yes it, it's interesting they've never they've never had a um a foreign rider uh before oh. all right so that's you know something to note it's uh you know, take that in <laughs> right so uh talking about dn1 here's just a sort of give us a sort of a rundown as to what dn1's about 
you know there's yeah. a list there just of pointers to talk about just yeah just give us a rundown and the viewers just some basic information of what they can expect uh, from a dm1 team or setup yeah um so uh dn1 um it's the so in france you have if you don't know uh there's uh, three divisions of amateur i call it amateur amateur racing uh, so there's uh, DN1, DN2, DN3, and they are, um, so each one, they sort of work similar to uh, UCI. So you have World Tour, Pro Continental, Continental. So there's three of each. Um, and within within them, you have what's called the Coupe de France. And the Coupe de France is a series of races. So it's usually one tour two one-day races and a team time trial sort of spread throughout the year and yeah. uh, so each each division has their own rounds of the coupe de france and uh, with that they then have points and things like that um yeah. but then for the majority of the races for the elite nationals for the regional elites uh, dn1 dn2 and dn3 teams all mix together and race each other and the same with teams that aren't uh, divisional ranked so it's sort of that similar to the uci as well just because there's the three grand tours which are only world tour apart from wild cards but then if you go to tour of britain or you go to tour de yorkshire there's all continental pro continental and then world tour teams um so to be a dn1 team uh, your sort what you need to have is a budget of I think it's two hundred and fifty thousand euros so okay. that's the minimum and uh, I've been I can't fully confirm but I've been told by people that some teams have and it's quite obvious that some teams have a sort of a six digit uh, budget so you're talking over a million yeah. pounds so there's yeah. some real real money behind some of the teams um and then the other two things that they must have they must have a full-time uh, sport director sportif and yeah. a full-time uh, coach so there's there's lots of different things that you need to have to be a dn1 team um so really the thing about dn1 is that i really hesitate to use the word amateur as, yeah. as you know with with the budgets that i i've just said that the the more similar to that of a continental team so you turn up to the races and you wouldn't be able to tell these these guys apart from the likes of like vitus and what wiggins was things like that and the 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 setups that they have are truly for for amateurs uh beyond uh this like world really because it's you wouldn't get that in any other amateur level you don't get that in belgium um and so yeah, just so. to put in there quick um yeah. with the as you just said with the level compared to that amateur thing is that yeah. the county teams in the uk would who would be considered professional in the uk could potentially have a lower budget than a dm1 which is an amateur team or sort of a similar yeah. budget so keep that in mind when looking as to where you want to go yeah yeah of course you've you've got to realize that dn1 is the top is i think this is why so many people 
uh, I've heard people when they're talking to teams, they sort of point the nose up at going to a DN2 team. Mm. When when DN1, it's, so, it's such a high level that you've got people who, who from DN1 just go straight to World Tour and just go yeah. straight to Continental all, all the time. It's constant and it's just, I think people have got to realise that it is a, it is what the UK domestic scene was eight years ago. It's not a, it's not yeah. amateur as such. Um, but yeah, so uh, the, so yeah, with Indian one, uh, you've got twenty four teams, um, yeah. and the within each team there's fourteen fourteen riders. Yeah, so um, there's some su- super strong guys um, who just go up to straight up to world tour level and you've got people who were who were dropping down um from world tour and pro continental so there was one of the a guy called clement carrossi who was one of the he was the number one rated rider in france uh, prior to this year he did two years at israel cycling academy yeah. uh, so the level the level's unbelievably high uh, for yeah. dn1 and you've got the you've got the likes of um got the likes of Shombury cyclism which joe laverick rode for um the yeah. british rider and that's uh, agt Mondiales sub 23 you've got von bu that i mentioned before um ccr toots which is uh, adam yates's old team and they um they're the feeder team for Circus Wanty and things like that. Yeah. So it's a real and also oh yeah, uh, Vitel Concept uh, CC. So the in that photo above the rider behind me is in Vitel Concept kit. So that's their that's their yeah. sub twenty three team. Uh, so the levels levels really high for uh, DN one. Yeah. I mean, I that goes to share with obviously with Simon Carr, who I'll be getting on to a similar chat to this one. Like he went from ABC Aches, which is a DM1 team, straight to Pro, Pro Conti with uh, yeah. Delco Marte Provence. And that just sort of proves the point. And when I chat to Simon, we'll chat but more about that step up and and how he found it, really. And then sort of moving on here, sort of going like, obviously, you know, the teams are really well organised. Are the races similar? Yeah, the, the races are... They are they're very well organised. I think just because they've done it for so many years, because these yeah. races have run for forty years, it's a bit. Yeah. It's a some races you'll turn up to and it'll feel a bit like CTT in the back of a car park. But yeah. <laughs> and, it's sort of de- and then it's like it's not CTT in the back of the car park because uh, Chambry uh, s- sat next to us in the team bus and it's just it's very it's very weird. Um, the races are super organised. You've got so many. Well, you look at that bunch there, and it's a 200 rider bunch. And you do. And there's so many motorcoms. They fully close down the roads. There's no silly UK road race in there where the where you've got a car coming at you and there's a massive bunch and you've got a old hand signal and things like that. The roads roads are completely closed and you. So the really, really well organised races, and uh, sort of the usual race finish is normally in a town, and they'll have a big sort yeah. of caravan, and they'll have lot of commentators, lots of spectators. It's a real, because I think the races oh, have been running for that long, is that 
it's sort of everybody has the set and France is very much like that. It's very community based and you'll have everybody knows the day that the bike, the elite national bike race is in town or whatever, and they'll all come yeah. out and do it. So races, races vary in sort of um, laps. Some I've done some that are just 130K, just a complete loop. And then you'll come on yeah. to the always you'll always have a finishing circuit that's normally about under six kilometers yeah sometimes three, sometimes two and that'll be the finishing circuit and then sometimes you'll just do one big loop then onto the finishing circuit other times you'll do a doesn't sound a lot but compared to uk racing you'll do a, a 25k loop and then you'll do you'll do that four times yeah. five times and then you'll come come on to the little circuit so organization and races are just out of this world and i think that's why so many people are chill is because they're also drilled at it and they all know how to do it from the from the motorcoms to the organizers to the commissaires they've been doing it for that long and they're so much well drilled yeah. and even though even though the uk races take a lot more organization and are a lot less chilled i think it's just because they haven't it hasn't been running for that long that it's that easy to do yeah no, definitely. So it sort of sounds like a step up on the organisational scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then moving on to salary, it's often a bit of a taboo subject, and I know a lot of riders aren't allowed to say their exact wage or contract, which uh, can totally respect when anyone mm -hmm. talking about this subject. We don't often discuss it in real life anyway. But sort yeah. of a DM on specifically your team and other teams, what's the sort of range that? Uh, a rider can expect to earn potentially mm -hmm. yeah so a usual so this sort of french rider or is this a, a foreign rider because it's 10 so for a nor if it's a foreign rider who's um who's joined a dn1 team that's a a usual a usual one that's got foreign riders so cc toops or a gsc blagnag or the yeah. simon Carth team a usual yeah. they and even DN2 as well, they usually have a rider house or an apartment yeah. and the, normally they'll give you free rent or it'll be very, very low rent for the yeah. house or apartment. And then a usual, a usual salary for a DN1 rider is somewhere between uh, 300 to about, it's... I've heard a few, the top, top guys, this is this is just what I've he heard from different sources, can be up to sort yes. of uh, uh, two grand, but I don't know how, how much truth there is in that, so you, it might be a to bit... To be honest, less, I've heard but, but it's... Uh, well, well, as you said, it's a taboo subject, nobody actually knows, but you hear... But looking at the team setups and the riders that they've got, it wouldn't surprise me if it was that much. So you yeah. sort you're sort of getting a similar pay to what you, because as you said, nobody really talks about it. Um, a sort of similar pay to that of a continental pro, not a pro continental, but a continental, a good level um, continental rider. Um, yeah. So the salary, the salary is very good. I think it's one of the many things that the French do right is that they pay their riders in some way properly because yeah. if you want to if you want to ride for the team properly then you've got to be able to either 
work part time or afford to be able to do it full time. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of, I, yeah, I'm quite grateful that we've sort of spoken about that because personally for me, I'm not going to France next year, I'm in Spain, but I know for other riders, I know I would want to know is that if I were to make this jump, it's a huge jump for any young rider to move to a different country, would they have some sort of support there? And it's really hard to find the information, so you know, that'll help quite a lot. And then yeah. just a sort of a quick one really now, just so races that pro teams watch, I know you mentioned the Coupe de France. I can imagine Coupe de France at DM1 is probably the highest level that Conti, Pro Conti, potential World yeah. Tour teams watch for, I guess, riders to pick. Yeah, yeah, it's that if you win a if you win a Coupe de France, it's the equivalent of, I think it's the equivalent of winning a UCI. It's yeah. harder, I think, it, I've been told this, that some of them are harder than actual UCIs because of the level so Coupe de yeah. France is a big one that people watch and even elite nationals um it's sort of that if you constant if you constantly perform at elite nationals they're that larger races is that the that the, the teams watch them as well and i think the yeah. good thing about france is that there's feeder teams um so yeah. if you perform within your team then their team will the pro team above them whoever they may be they'll go have you got any riders coming through and they'll go yeah there's this rider and so yeah. so but yeah coupe okay. de france and um elite nationals but even for a dn dn2 if you win a coupe de france it's a as at a dn2 level it's a big deal um yeah but the dn2 teams are do race a lot of elite nationals with um dn1 and same with uh dn3 as well so it's yeah. sort of I think the biggest ones that they watch is Coupe de France, but I think it's, yeah. con it's consistency like everything. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, consistency is key. I mean, you'd rather get five top fives at Elite National than yeah. maybe your second place, and that's all you get all year. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's definitely something to keep in mind as well when you're applying to teams is that. And just when you're looking at results and putting pressure on yourself, is that keep the consistency rather than peaking one time and then be crap the rest of the season. So you know, it's just yeah, little yeah. bits of stuff to bear in mind. And then I guess you, you sort of said your region is rolling. Um, I know you, and you sort of said picking the team is a scrap, so you can't be too choosy yeah, unless, say, like your world champion, for example. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's it's a hard one. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sort of that much of a scrap that you can't. But I think yeah. if you've got the res if you can back yourself completely and you know that you've got the results, well, I think the best thing to yeah. do is picking the right region for you as a rider. Um, yeah, is is good because if you can do that and you do it at the start, then you you best to pick yeah. the ones that you like the most first and then apply to them and sort of go down the list. Um, yeah, but I think. I, for for years to come, I might pick a different region suiting me as a rider. But there's so much, there's so much variability in France with the yeah. with the races that you do, and teams travel all across France. So you don't. Yeah. I think picking a region is better for training, not for racing. It's yeah. not a yeah. it's not a be all and end all if you live in a flatter region because you'll go to other regions where it's really like. In this, in the photo above on the PowerPoint, you can see 
teams from so my team Charlotte Maritime got teams from Brittany teams from Normandy I think uh, yeah. CCA Tubes were at that race there from up near uh, near Strasbourg by the German border you had teams yeah. from the Alps there you had teams from Central it's such a it's such a mixing part of races and you do so many different races over the year that it's not so much as oh my god I live in a hilly region I'm a sprinter yeah, uh, but the the bad thing is that is that you then have to train there. But yeah, yeah, of course. But it has its ups and downs, and so does everything. Yeah. And then style of races, as you said, some of the guys are basically world tour. Um, yeah. How does that affect it? Like when you're watching a world tour race, the brake goes, gets brought back. Is it the mm-hmm. similar way, or is it more battle of attrition? <laughs> <laughs> um, my first amateur. Amateur elite nationals and amateur French races. I was like, "What is this?" Um, it's a, it, it's there's no control. There's the there's occasionally control, but it's just a because the thing is is that we said that riders are getting paid, but they're not being paid enough, and yeah. nobody's that specified in their jobs or in their riding abilities. So yeah. the only real time that you see teams working is when it's a bunch of sprint. That's the only time. The rest yeah. of the time, it just goes full gas from the start. Never really sits up a, excuse me, a usual thing is that it's um, you, the, a break goes of 20, 15, Peloton sits up. Mm-hmm sits up for the middle half and then full gas to the finish and you may or may not catch the breakaway usually usually ends in a breakaway it's just it's little control uh, that's the main thing with french racing yeah. you not don't expect it to be a uci level race with lots of control but i think that's one of the things that makes people so strong in france like simon yeah. Carr, for instance he the race that he won he just rode away from everybody and yeah. that's the the UCI that he won and things like that is that you see it you see it from French riders and they just ride away from everybody because they they're used to just smashing the hell out of each other in every race. Yeah, and that's I guess that's why we like to watch Alaphilippe just sort of sending it in the tour, like yeah, just I think, classy back riders. Yeah, you you notice that quite a lot with French riders is that they do attack and attack and attack and attack and they'll they'll empty the tank and they'll sometimes in French races you'll watch the best guys and you think if you were if you were riding a lot a lot smarter you might be able to win but then I think that's the thing that because they can attack and attack and attack and attack they become so strong that they can that they can just do it or keep on just going and going and going um like there's a few there's a few riders in my team who who they're if you compared their power numbers to me or some someone who's at a similar level, their power numbers won't be that higher. But then the difference is, is that when you do that for a fifth or sixth time, your power will be in the bin, whereas they'll yeah. ju- they'll just keep it keep at the same sort of level because they have I, yeah. I, a lot of them do have very high levels of fatigue resistance. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting thing to note then. Um, so sort of that's everything really I can think of on the DM1 scene. Is there anything you want to add or 
No, not really. Nothing nothing in particular. I think we've covered quite a lot. I'm currently writing a article for uh, the British Continental. So if any, just on general racing in France and giving an explanation on categories, teams, classifications, things like that. So if you want, a, I'm sort of getting a document together so that people can look at it and so if you want if you want any more information look at that but if you want Perfect. sort of to speak to somebody I'll, I'll happily answer anybody's dms that they've got um but yeah i think the main thing is just to apply early and sort of go for it i'd say don't hold anything back and don't don't point your nose up at going to a dn2 or dn3 team um there's some top guys who've started at uh, for instance stuart belfer do you know Stuart? Yeah. Top Dave, top level rider. Yeah, Dave Rayner funded rider, top level. Gonna be, I think he's gone to Swiss Continental team now. Uh, one of the best riders in France. Um, he started yeah. off in his first year as a at a DN three team. So yeah, it's it not. Sort of goes to it's if you probably if you're a, if you're a ju- British junior or something, or you're going to a DN3 team, you're probably better than that. But you've got to get to France first, and then you'll then prove yourself. And if you if you are worthy, then you will go up to the higher level. But yeah, I'd just say, don't. A lot of people just put DN2 and DN3 out of the picture. Yeah, it's important to know that. You'll be able to work your way up. Um, for anyone that's interested, I'll link uh, I'll link Charlie's Instagram uh, below, yeah. and also I'll link the British Continentals website because they've got a really useful sort of reservoir of information for different riders transfers. They did a mm-hmm. the, did they do a podcast of Jim Brown yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I Jim think. Brown on moving to Canada. And, yeah, I think this, uh, this, and Holly Knight did an article as well. Yeah. Same, yeah, old team is so, Simon Carr. And yeah, then exactly, think, yeah, so also, Oh, go on. No, after you, mate. Oh, no, I, I think there's also a article on Spanish racing there. It was written by, I think it's yeah. George Jari, uh, who wrote the article on Spanish racing, so... Perfect. So I'll, uh, I'll link that down below, uh, and we'll... Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks to Charlie for joining us today. I really appreciate that, mate. Yeah, no worries. And I'm, sure we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll check in some point soon throughout the year, hopefully sort of see how it's going in France. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right, cheers, mate. Cheers.